Chapter Two of The Young Railroaders. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Young Railroaders by F. Lowell Coombs. Chapter Two An Original Emergency Battery. One afternoon, two weeks later, Alex returned from school to find his father and mother hurriedly packing his suitcase. Why, what's up, Dad? he exclaimed. You're off for Watson's siding in twenty minutes, to take charge of the station there nights, said his father. The regular man is ill. The dispatcher had no one else to send, and asked for you, and of course I told him you'd be delighted. Delighted? Well, rather! cried Alex gleefully, and throwing his school-books into a corner he dashed upstairs to change his clothes, hastily ate a lunch his mother had prepared, and fifteen minutes later was hurrying for the depot. Needless to say, Alex was a proud boy when shortly after seven o'clock he reached Watson's siding, and at once took over the station for the night. For it is not often a lad of fourteen is given such responsibility, even though brought up on the railroad. Alex was soon to learn that the responsibility was a very real one. The first night passed pleasantly enough, but early the succeeding night, following a day of rain, a heavy spring fog set in, and shortly before ten o'clock Alex found, to his alarm, that he could not make himself heard on the wire by the dispatcher. Evidently there was a heavy escape of current between them because of the dampness. Again the dispatcher called, again Alex sought to interrupt him, failed, and gave it up. "'Now I am in for trouble,' he said in dismay. "'If anything should—' From apparently just without came a low, ominous rumble, then a crash. Alex started to his feet and ran to the window. He could see nothing but fog, and hastily securing a lantern, went out onto the station platform. As he closed the door there was a second terrific crash, from the darkness immediately opposite, and a rain of stones rattling against iron. "'The bank above the siding!' cried Alex, and springing to the tracks he dashed across, and with an exclamation brought up before a mound of earth six feet high over the siding rails. As he gazed, Alex felt his heart tighten. The westbound Sunset Express was due to take the siding in less than half an hour to await the eastern mail and at once he saw that if the engineer misjudged the distance in the fog, and ran on to the siding at full speed, there would be a terrible calamity. And suppose the cars were thrown on to the main-line track, and the mail crashed into them, and apparently he could not reach the dispatcher, to give warning of her danger. What could he do to stop them? Helplessly Alex looked at the lantern in his hand. Its light was smothered by the fog within ten feet of him. Running back to the operating-room, he seized the key, and once more sought to attract the attention of the dispatcher. It was useless. The dispatcher did not hear him. He sank back into his chair, sick with dread. But he must attempt something. Determinedly he sprang to his feet. A lantern was useless. Then why not a fire? A big fire on the track? Hurrah! That was it! But— he gazed at the coal-box and thought of the rain-soaked wood outside, and his heart sank. Then came remembrance of the big woodshed at the farmhouse where he boarded, three hundred yards away, and in a moment he had recovered the lantern and was out and off through the darkness, 
running desperately. On arriving at the house, Alex found all in silence, and the family retired, but without a moment's hesitation he threw himself at the front door, pounding upon it with his fists. It seemed an age before a window was raised. "'Mr. Moore!' he cried. "'There's been a landslide in the cut at the station, and there's danger of the sunset running into it. May I have wood from the shed to make a fire on the track to stop her?' "'Gracious! Certainly! Certainly!' exclaimed the voice from the window. "'And the boys and I will be down in a minute to help you. You run around and be pulling out some kindling.' Alex darted about to the woodshed. There the farmer and his two sons soon joined him, and each catching up an armful of wood, they were quickly off for the railroad, Alex leading with the lantern. Reaching the tracks, they hurried east, and a quarter-mile distant halted, and began hastily building a huge bonfire between the rails. "'There,' said Alex, as the flames leaped up, "'that ought to stop her.' And now, Mr. Moore, suppose we leave Dick here to tend the fire, and you and Billy and I hurry back to the station and tackle the earth on the track. We may get enough off to let the train plough through. All right, certainly, agreed the farmer, and retracing their steps, the three secured shovels and more lanterns at the depot, and soon were hard at work on the obstructed siding. They had been digging some ten minutes when suddenly Billy paused. Listen! he said. There's a horse coming on the run. His father and Alex also ceased shoveling, and a moment later the quick pounding of horses' hoofs was plainly discernible. "'It must be something urgent to make a man drive like that in the dark,' said Mr. Moore. The racing hoofs drew nearer, and placing his hands to his mouth, he cried, "'Hello! What's up?' There was a sound of scrambling and plunging, and out of the darkness came a man's excited voice. "'How near am I to the station?' "'Right here below you.' "'Thank God! Run quick and tell the operator there's been a landslip in the big cutting just beyond the river. My son discovered it when coming home by the track from a party. I thought I could get here quicker than do anything else.' For a moment Alex stood speechless at this further calamity, then once more dashed for the station. To reach Zeisler, two miles west of the cut, was the only hope for the mail. Rushing into the instruments, he in feverish haste began calling, Z, 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 he whirled, Q, K, Z, Z, W, S. There was no answer. Z heard him no more than did the dispatcher. A feeling of despair settled upon the boy, but again returned the old spirit of determination and contriving, and spinning about in his chair, he cast his eyes around the room for some suggestion. They halted at the big stoneware water-cooler. With a cry he was on his feet, thinking rapidly. Only a few hours before, during an idle moment, the similarity of the big jar to a gravity cell had occurred to him, and the speculation as to whether it could not be turned into a battery, if need be. Could he really make a battery of it? If he could, undoubtedly it would be strong enough to so increase the current in the wire that both Zeisler and the dispatcher could hear him. He ran to a little storage closet at the rear of the room. Yes, there was enough bluestone. But no copper or zinc. What could he do for that? As though directed by providence, his gaze fell on the floorboard of the office stove. 
It was covered with a sheet of zinc. And even as he uttered a glad, Good! there came the remembrance that at the house that afternoon he had seen a fine new wash-boiler, with a thick copper bottom. That's it! cried Alex, again catching up the lantern and darting for the door. A short distance from the depot, Alex was halted by a long, muffled whistle from the east. "'The express!' he exclaimed, and in keen anxiety awaited the next whistle. Would it be for the crossing this side of the bonfire, or—' It came, a series of quick, sharp toots. Yes, they had seen the fire. "'Thank heaven! She's safe at any rate!' said Alex, at once running on. A few minutes later he burst into Mrs. Moore's kitchen. The farmer's wife was at the stove, preparing coffee for them. "'Mrs. Moore, where is your new copper-bottom boiler? I must have it, quick!' said Alex. "'What? My new wash-boiler?' "'Yes, the copper-bottomed one. It's a matter of life and death.' The astonished woman hesitated, then, wonderingly, pointed toward the outer kitchen. Alex ran thither and quickly reappeared with a fine new boiler on his shoulder. "'And I must have that kettle of boiling water,' he added, on a thought. "'I'll explain later.' And catching it from the stove, he rushed away. As he ran, Alex further thought out his plans, and once more at the station, he placed the kettle on the office stove, emptied the blue stone into it, and poked up the fire. Then, with a hammer and chisel, he attacked the copper bottom of the boiler. He was still pounding and cutting when presently there was the sound of hurried footsteps without. The door flew open, and a voice exclaimed, "'In heaven's name, young man, what are you doing? Why are you not at your wire trying to stop the other train?' It was none other than the division superintendent of the road, who had been aboard the sunset. Only pausing a moment in his work, Alex replied, "'I can't reach anybody, sir. The wire is so weak.' I am making a battery of that water-cooler, to strengthen it. It's the only hope, sir." The superintendent uttered a horrified exclamation, then quickly added, "'Here, can't I help you?' "'Yes, sir,' replied Alex promptly. "'Lift up the stove and slide out the floorboard. I must have the sheet of zinc off it.' And a few minutes later, a group of passengers from the stalled train, seeking the cause of delay, paused in the doorway to gaze in blank astonishment at the spectacle of the division superintendent of the Middle Western, his coat off, energetically working under the direction of his youngest operator. "'There you are, my lad,' said the superintendent. "'What next?' "'Get a stick, sir, and stir the bluestone in the kettle. We must have it dissolved if the battery is to work the moment we connect it to the wire.' The copper bottom of the boiler was at last cut through and hastily doubling it over several times, in order that it would lie flat in the crock, Alex turned his attention to the zinc on the stove-board. The scene in the little station had now become dramatic. The crowd of passengers, increased until it half filled the room, looked on in strained silence, or talking in whispers. The tall figure of the superintendent at the stove, busily stirring the kettle, and in the middle of the floor, the centre of all eyes, the fourteen-year-old boy hurriedly working with chisel and hammer, seemingly only conscious of the task before him, and the necessity of making the most of every minute. The zinc was cut, and hurriedly folding it as he had the copper, Alex sprang to his feet, and running to the cupboard, dragged out a bundle of wire, 
and began sorting out a number of short ends. "'How much longer?' said the superintendent, in a tense voice. "'The train should be in Zeisler now.' "'Just a minute. But she's sure to be a little late, from the fog,' said Alex, hopefully, never pausing. "'Has the bluestone dissolved, sir?' "'All but a few lumps.' "'Then that'll do. Now please lift down the water-cooler, sir, and place it by the table.' As the superintendent complied, all conversation ceased, and the crowd, moving hurriedly out of the way, looked on breathlessly, then turned to Alex on his knees, fastening two pieces of wire to the squares of copper and zinc. This done, Alex dropped the square of copper to the bottom of the big jar, hung the zinc from the top, connected one wire end to the ground connection at the switchboard, and the other to the side of the key, and the task was complete. "'Now the kettle, sir,' he said, dropping into his chair. The superintendent seized the kettle and emptied its blue-green liquid into the cooler. The moment the water had covered the zinc, Alex opened his key. It worked strongly and sharply. "'Thank God! Thank God!' said the superintendent fervently. "'Now hurry, boy!' Already Alex was whirring off a string of letters. "'Z! Z! Z! W.S.!' he called. Q.K. Q.K. Z. Z. The line opened, and at the quick sharp dots that came Alex could not restrain a cry of triumph. It works! I've got him! he exclaimed. Then rapidly he said, Has number twelve passed? The line again opened, and over the boy leaned a circle of white, anxious faces. Had the train passed? Had it gone on to destruction? Or— the instruments clicked. "'No! No! He says no!' cried Alex. And then, while the crowd about him relieved its pent-up feelings in wild shouts and hurrahs, Alex quickly sent the order to stop the train. "'And now three good cheers for the little operator!' said one of the passengers as Alex closed his key. In confusion Alex drew back in his chair, then suddenly recollecting the others who had taken part in the night's work. He told the superintendent of the part played by Mr. Moore and his sons, and of the sacrifice of Mrs. Moore's new wash-boiler. "'And then there was the man on the horse, who told us of the slide in the cut across the river. He was the real one to save the mail,' said Alex modestly. "'I see you are as fair as you are ingenious,' said the superintendent, smiling. "'We'll look after them all, you may be sure.' By the first express, Mrs. Moore shall have two instead of one of the finest boilers money can buy. And as for you, my boy, I'll see that you are given a permanent station within a year, if you wish to take it. We need resourceful operators like you. End of chapter.